Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode with Rick. If you are one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to this show and this is your first time here, I want to welcome you with arms wide open like Creed. That was fucking... I I really regret that. I'm really sorry. But regardless, I'm glad you're here and feel free to make yourselves at home. As always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Now, today, it's a big day. Maybe not a big day for everyone else, but it's a big day for me because one of my, you know, best fucking dudes in my life right now, Mr. Ryan Peters, a.k.a. Amok, is on the fucking show today. He came over. He just left a couple minutes ago, but he's on the show today, and we're going to talk about being weird white rappers and growing up and, you know, where he came from, where he's at, how adult life has treated him up until this point, the future of his music endeavors and, you know, whatever. We're going to put all that into a fucking blender and we're going to see what happens. It's going to be a good time. It was a good time. I fucking, you know, you don't, you're not going to hear this word come out of my mouth too many times. I'm not the type of person that says this shit, but I think it's safe to say that I legitimately love Ryan. I love that dude. Uh, He fucking means the world to me. He is awesome. He's very inspiring, creative force to be around and have in my life. And I'm honestly not so sure that I would be where I'm at now musically if it wasn't for him being just a part of my life. He's a really good counterbalance to everything I do. When I mentioned it in the conversation, but, you know, he was the inspiration for me to, like, kind of get out of my bedroom and start playing shows as a rapper and uh just the story on how we met it's so weird we talk about it and uh i don't know he's just i'm fucking so appreciative to actually have that dude in my life and i don't appreciate many things i take a lot of things for granted i do i will be the first person to admit that i can kind of be a selfish dick sometimes and but you know i really appreciate the shit out of ryan and i'm really you know just glad to have the dude in my life so yeah, this is uh, my fucking conversation you're about to listen to uh, with Ryan, a.k.a. Amok. So yeah, sit back, relax. Wait, 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 real quick before we get into the episode. I know Ryan's going to talk about this, but I feel the need to promote it for you people that might uh, be lazy and not listen to the full conversation or skip around and miss some important details. Uh, Ryan, or Amok, however you know him, he is having a CD release show coming up for his new EP that he is releasing, Detonate, November 22nd, 9pm, at the Smiling Moose. We got fucking 
amok, obviously. Kilter Vision will be there. I'll be there. We'll be doing some Plutocrat news stuff. We got Overdosed. We got Bars Blackman, Lazy JP, Connect, and DJ Blacklisted of Fortified Phonetics. And that's fucking more than enough. That's a lot of talent on one fucking show. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're in the Pittsburgh area next Saturday, this sa it's actually this Saturday by the time you're hearing this. Um, this Saturday, November 22nd, just fucking come out and support some cool shit. Please. Yeah. Let's get on with it. Sit back. Relax. And let's start the motherfucking bait. Situated. I'll, oh, good, man. I'll start. Actually, listen to one embarrassingly enough because I just never like I always want to, and then I'm like, I just don't know if I have much time. I listened to a little bit of the Stillborn one. Cool. I did check that out, but I don't have an idea of what's gonna happen. So yeah, it doesn't really matter. I don't have any. I don't have any expectations. Good. Then I can't disappoint you. Yeah. Brutally. Okay. So, so step one. Where can we start this? I wasn't thinking about it. But thinking about it, I was thinking about how we met, and we met through the wonders of the internet. One of these, uh, one of the few good things to come from the the, the social networking in the early days, you know, yep. because for anybody that doesn't know, I was doing a project called Opposites Attract at some point in time, and uh, I guess Andy. AKA Kilter Vision for anyone that means anything to. Uh, so many. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, I guess he had come across it because he was living in Pittsburgh, but he was living in, like, where is he living at at the time? He was on the other side of the country, wasn't he? Was he was in San Diego. Yeah, yep. he was in San Diego at the time. And he found this thing and messaged Ryan about it because, like, hey, there's somebody in Pittsburgh doing some music stuff and you should get a hold of them. And then, like, you messaged me and we got together and then, you know, mm -hmm. We've been doing projects since. Yep. But that's like a kind of a cool thing, if you think about it. It was cool. Yeah, I remember him referring me to your music, and I really liked it. I was attracted to it, I guess. <laughs> Pun intended. Lame. Um, and yeah, wanted to check it out. Wanted to do something with you. I remember meeting you at the bus stop, and we were just kind of like, all right. So. Oh, yeah, we like hung out this at dude. Cold Stone. It was yeah. we went to Coldstone. Was it like, was like a weird like Craigslist meeting like in the corner of <laughs> some block in Murray on like Squirrel Hill. Yeah. So like a casual encounter, um, and yeah, I went back and laid some stuff down, and uh, the rest is history. Well, not so much history. Yes. Yeah. So shit that happened that um, no one knows about. Yeah. At that point, you had already been in a band or two, right? Up yep. until that point. So let's. When did you get into playing music and bands and stuff um i think i was 15 years old when i was in my first band and i'm doing the quote thing with my hands 
because uh, it was more just like me and a couple dudes. Andy, Kilter Vision, was actually part of that because we were best friends in high school. And um, it was just basically a weird, thrashy, punk band where we sort of tried to play instruments, but it just kind of was more like a bunch of shit. Okay. And I think we felt really good about ourselves that we could all play in the same room together so it was it was sort of one of those like high school like we we were we were kind of really into just being able to say we could do this and actually making any kind of good songs or any kind of musicianship and um it was a lot of fun though yeah so you um did you listen to a lot of crazy stuff or was it just uh that was easy to do so you did it um I think that the common denominator with that band was probably like Anti-Flag and, you know, AFI and Bouncing Souls and, and maybe just a little bit of Rage Against the Machine and rap stuff and Deftones that we liked. But for the most part, I think it was sort of the four-timing, whatever, power chord, just stuff that we could look up online and play, sort of play. Yeah. And uh, I think that that was just the common denominator just to be happened to be what we could do. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, before that, even before that happened, did you grow up listening to music or did you like find music later? Like were your parents in the music, that kind of thing? Um, not really. Not really. Um, I think I just found music like I just was one of those kids that stayed up late at night watching like MTV and you know when they actually still had music videos on it and saw like I remember seeing like the Bulls on Parade video and seeing like the um, the one arm scissor video and just being really into just how weird those groups were and how just attractive it was because I grew up in a really small sheltered town where uh, you know people liked Metallica and that was probably the closest thing <laughs> yeah. to me that I could relate to anyone with. So, you know, I definitely, it was attractive to me to just find that culture because it was just nothing that I had been exposed to. So sure. I looked for it and the internet wasn't, I don't really want to show my age here, uh, but the internet wasn't <laughs> like a huge deal for music back then. So it wasn't like you could just go online and have access to all these bands and videos. I mean, you had to really look for stuff oh, yeah, and I was into that. Yeah, totally. Now, um, fast forwarding a bit, how did you get into the hip hop stuff? Was it, cause I feel um, like when I first met you, you sent me some rap stuff, but it was kind of like some like joke rap stuff. Yeah. So did you like get into rap as like, kind of like unintentionally almost? Yeah, totally. So that's the same thing that happened with me. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think it's a white person thing. Um, my dad, this, I'm going to digress for a minute here, but I just wanted to share this story because that made me think of this story. Okay. Uh, my dad recently at a family gathering, I, he didn't say it to me, but I overheard him saying it to my aunt who's, you know, um, she's older. She was in town from San Francisco and she was kind of catching up with what everyone was doing. And I overheard him say, you know, Ryan's doing white rap now. <laughs> And I was just like, wow, I guess if that's how you want to explain it. So uh, I am a failure, I guess. But yeah, you know, in high school, my friends and I, it was just more, it was, it was fun to just kind of 
uh, you know, whatever, smoke weed and hang out and freestyle. And it wasn't just even as much that we knew anything about the culture or even liked hip hop music that much that it was just fun for us to do. Sure. And so we did it. And it probably wasn't fun for anyone else to hear or amusing like we thought it was, but it was cool for us. We recorded ourselves on just like a little boombox over these beats that, you know, we would just like record the television and oh, then yeah. record it and over and over and over again until we're like, hey, 18 hours later, I have a beat, again, using quotation marks. And then we would just kind of joke rap over it and that just became a thing that we would do so much that we were like, why don't we just try to actually do it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like whether your intentions were um, comedic or not, you were still going through the same steps and process that a lot of people do go through. Right. Whether they want to do something that's, you know, uh, more serious or underground, you know, it's just uh, you were, whether you realized it or not, you were still learning those things. And yeah, developing a uh, a craft. Yeah, and I think it's again, you know, I to explain my background a little bit. You know, my parents were separated, and I grew up in basically two different worlds. So, you know, during the weeks, I would be in this tiny little podunk town where there, unless you were into hunting or football, there was just actually nothing for you to do. So you had to be resourceful and creative and entertain yourself. And then the other part of me, hey, a weekend, every other weekend, I'm like with my dad in the south side of Pittsburgh. So that's overwhelming to me. And there's oh, your all this dad lives stuff. down here? Yeah. So there's all this new stuff. So I was conflicted. But when I was home and that version of myself that, that was around all that small town stuff, you know, it wasn't, you didn't, you didn't actually meet anybody that, that knew anything about like authentic hip hop culture. You know, it was almost like sure. a, a spectacle or something to be like, oh, wow, look at this. You know, the people that sort of, sort of pretended that they knew about it or said they were into rap music, you know, they weren't really. So it wasn't until I started, you know, coming to the city more that I actually met people that I could kind of derive influence from and realize like, oh, wow, this is like a real thing. And this is kind of cool. Yeah, so, um, would you say that, like, you, did you, like, kind of slowly discover the, we'll say in quotation marks, hip-hop culture as you started, like, maybe playing shows in the city, or did you have kind of an idea of it even before that? Yeah, I still don't, I don't even think I found it through shows. I think it was just finding those, that, those handful of artists that I just liked so much that I would just kind of that aha moment where I got it. Who were, like, the first couple I remember, like, probably, like, hieroglyphics or... You got it. Def yeah. <laughs> definitely hieroglyphics. I mean, the first time I heard hieroglyphics, like, the first song I heard, you know, um, I just downloaded everything they had and listened to them on repeat constantly, knew the words of every single song, and it was really eye-opening. Um, obviously, Wu-Tang Clan were a big part of that. Like, Cypress Hill, you know, um, and, and again, some more rap rock influenced stuff, like 311, you know, Rage Against the Machine, stuff like that was definitely kind of my gateway drug into hip-hop. So I already knew about, you know, songwriting and musicianship and things I liked about music. I just didn't know that they existed in hip-hop. So when I found it and I really started to associate with people that knew what good hip-hop was, I was just like a kid in a candy store and I just got my hands on everything I could and, and just went down the rabbit hole with it. Yeah, that's kind of what happened with me, too, in a way, you know. Same background, did it with friends in high school, then ended up finding an Aesop Rock album yep. accidentally, and it was just like, uh oh, like, there's a, a hip-hop world that exists that I didn't even know about. Right. You know, and it was very, very super eye-opening. So, uh, fast-forwarding a little bit, you know, we've... You've done a bunch of music and then 
where you're at now in life. You are a uh, a husband. Yes. And a father of twins. Yes, sir. And uh, adult life has significantly took a turn with you over the past, uh, what, we met in 2006 or seven. So we've known each other for seven or eight years. Yes. Which is kind of crazy to think about, that it's already been that fucking long. Absolutely. And uh, outside of our, <laughs> outside of um, how we've evolved as musicians or whatever, again, using those quotation marks. Right. Uh, as we've evolved. Let's call as, it what it is. <laughs> as, as we've evolved as white rappers. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Dad. Uh, um, you have also evolved as, you know, a human. And yes. other things have happened. So how has that transition been for you now that you're kind of, you've, I think you've gotten through a lot of the rockier stages of, you know, infants and yeah. new marriage and things like that. Yeah, it's crazy because you're right. You know, I have a lovely wife and I have kids. They're, they're three-year-old twin boys. They're identical. And my life's just a tornado. And, you know, a tornado <laughs> of domestic stuff that you never get away from. And it's it's beautiful. I don't mean to, to paint it, you know, in a negative light. But it's very demanding. It's very time-consuming. And it's hard to, A find the time to really write songs or want to perform or continue that and B find that sort of steam to keep it going because there there are those points where I just kind of sit there and I'm thinking like man I'm I'm an adult now sure. like I'm I'm a big kid but the angst is still there where's all the angst coming from <laughs> right yeah. I guess it's got to have a vessel though yeah that that's what I was what I'm kind of curious about is like as like how has a uh all of these new things in life affected the way that you write in your creative output because well, it's like, I feel like there's like certain things that like you might be able to talk about now that you never would have thought of seven years ago. Right. And then on the flip, there's probably some things that you can't let come out of your mouth ever again. Sure. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's weird you say that because when I was writing, um, the first Amok album, I was with, you know, Rachel, my wife. And I remember during that writing process, there'd be a lot of things that I'd sort of come up with that I think that, that she would, would find very sophomoric or she would kind of take me aside and kind of say, I don't think you should publicly convey that idea. I don't think that's such a good idea. And, you know, she's a teacher and she's a, an educated person and, and she's always been more of an adult than me. So it was sort of like that, that buddy at the bar kind of taking you aside and saying, eh, think you should have that next shot of whiskey you seem to be having a great time right now yeah so that happened a lot during the course of the first amok album and i think that that's part of why it, it was sort of an intellectual album there i mean with the exception of maybe bounce there weren't a lot of straightforward tracks on that album and it wasn't super accessible but i was really proud of it and you know i think that i went through a phase of sort of thinking like look uh, you know, I'm a dad. I got to be responsible about the content that I put out. And then something Had happened you, with this album. Were the kids born when Improbabilities came out or was... No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was that was pre-kids. My kids were actually born... I remember they were still in the neonatal care unit whenever Asymmetry came out in 2011. Okay. So that was my CD release party for that show was, you know, I was pretty much leaving the hospital and coming back to the hospital that night. Yeah. So it was right around that time. So all this, all this kind of happened around the same time. And I think I went through a phase of sort of being like, well, you know, you got to put a filter on it and, you know, you, you got to be more of an adult. And then I, I kind of just with this last album kind of just shook all that off. 
um, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, not to sound irresponsible, but I kind of thought, you know, I'm going to write kind of whatever I want to write. And if when my kids are of age, we have to have some sit down <laughs> conversations about why daddy thought this way or what, <laughs> what was going through my head, you know, I think that they'll, they'll get it and they'll respect me for it as an artist, uh, as opposed to me trying to filter myself. I don't think that, uh, from what I've picked up on the album, like sitting in on the production sessions and stuff and hearing the, getting, listening to the tracks that you sent to me, it seems like the stuff, there isn't really anything particularly offensive or abrasive. There's just kind of like a lot of tongue-in-cheek, weird, like pop culture references and things that, uh, you know, they're not really like, uh, I don't think it's anything that you don't, that you shouldn't say. I don't know. Well, thank you. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I think I don't think it's gratuitous. Yeah, I mean, that's a good. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's an album that's for shock value or offensive just to be offensive. I'm not talking about things just to get attention for them. But there's definitely some stuff in this album that you know a couple albums ago I just would have put off the table and wouldn't have said. You sure. Know, especially in like Dark Matters, a song um, going to be a single that we're shooting a video for where. Um, I don't even know what an edited song, an edited version of this song might just be the beat. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bombs on it. There's a bar that, um, I, one bar on the album I did not write. I let Kilter Vision Ghost write, and it is probably the most offensive line that I've ever heard in music. So we, <laughs> we left it in there because it rhymed. Um, <laughs> Which line is that? It's, um, it's about the Virgin Mary. Okay. Not, not ringing a bell. Fuck, I'll have, to, I'll have to listen through it again. You don't All have right. to say it now. I'm not going to do it. I'm totally not going to do it. But I let him ghostwrite that, and I'll never do that again. But there, <laughs> there, there's just those things that I think me a couple albums ago would have put the filter on or put the brakes on and said, no, that's not in good taste. And this time around, I just kind of said, you know what? That's funny, and that's who I am. That's the way I talk amongst yeah. my peers. That's what I believe in, and I don't really believe in putting any kind of artistic muzzle on myself. So I'm not so much concerned if it's in good taste or bad taste. Um, I think that it's it's just going to be something that's looked back on, and I might have some explanations to do for my kids, but like I'm okay with that. Uh, speaking of your kids, they um are they're getting to that age where they're. It, they're starting to latch on to some things, I'm assuming. Yep. Like, you know, like maybe like a TV show or some, like, I don't know what the fuck your kids are into. Yeah. But uh, is music something that they're gravitating towards at all? Do you notice them being excited by music? They are totally, they are like stupidly excited by music. And if they, <laughs> if they heard me say that, they would tell me no. They'd say that's a bad word because to them stupid is a bad word that we don't say. So, <laughs> okay. Well, they probably shouldn't listen to your album. <laughs> yeah. And my new, my new favorite thing to say is, well, this is stupidly this way to mean like it's so much this way. So I picked a bad time to pick up a new catch phrase but they're very 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 much into music you know anytime i'll turn music on no matter what kind you know they have these little bongos that we bought them and they'll jump on and they'll stand on them and they'll smash them they have little guitars uh they have an adult keyboard that they were jamming on earlier today they dance like a bunch of maniacs they sing um this is super embarrassing but even though they've only seen the movie a, a handful of times uh usually not under my supervision they sing the fucking frozen songs i mean they just they're they're performers they're natural performers they're ridiculous and they're definitely my kids so they're they're gra <laughs> gravitating towards it at a young age for that's sure that's awesome now um there there was a kind of just backtracking a bit to kind of like steer into a uh, a side realm real quick there was like some complications right with the kids when they were they were born yep yeah 
Yep. So they were, um, whenever Rachel was pregnant, she was diagnosed with twin to twin transfusion syndrome. So most people don't know what the hell that is. And I didn't, but it's, it's very common in, you know, um, twins that share a placenta. So we found out pretty early on that we were dealing with that. And luckily UPMC, you know, helped us out. They were one of the three hospitals in the whole world that, you know, is good with that and does procedures for that. They have a laser surgery that they had to operate on her twice because they did it once. Uh, basically, basically the way it works is one of the twins gets more blood and more nutrients than the other, which means both will die. And years ago, there was nothing that they could do. You'd be you'd be diagnosed with this, and it would it would mean that you know both your children would die. And Holy shit! Recently, they developed a laser surgery that has a a, a more decent success rate than dying <laughs> so that's good and you know we had the surgery she had the surgery twice uh the the kids were like two and a half months early so that was a big deal too so it was a big fight they were 3.1 and 3.3 pounds when they were born so it was a big fight they spent a lot of time in the neonatal care unit and it was a super super scary time um yeah but, that's what that's what made me think of it because you had mentioned that they were in the neonatal care whenever uh asymmetry came out yeah, it was a, a super scary time, and I, I actually remember kind of, you know, for, for a lot of people that know me, which isn't that many, um, you know, a lot, of, you know, I'm an atheist and I'm pretty outspoken about that, but I was just, I was scared shitless and I, I will not be afraid to admit that during that time, I, I remember praying, you know, sure. I remember saying when they were in the neonatal care unit, I just said, you know what, I don't really subscribe to this, but just in case you're out there, just, just let them live. Just do whatever you can. Make them healthy. Take my legs. Take my arms. I'll never white wrap again. Do whatever <laughs> you want. Just make sure my kids are healthy. And um, I don't know. I still don't believe that it worked, but I'm glad that they are okay. Yeah, they seem they seem to be doing great. Yeah, they're they're too good, man. They got they got too much energy. <laughs> Drive me up the fucking wall. So um, on the other side of things with adult life, work life. Well, how has that been for you trying to handle uh, the adult responsibilities? Um, it's it's tough. You know, I've been in like corporate management, so that's something that's tough for me. It's tough to walk into sort of an office job where you're managing, motivating. Um, you know, you're in a tie, and then you kind of walk out the door, and you're taking that tie off, and like you're stepping on on stage, which I've had happen yeah. many times. I've come right out of work, and I've gone right to a venue, and I've performed. And a lot of people that, you know, I've worked with in these corporate settings, they know that I perform and it gets around and it's, it's typically a big surprise and they can't imagine it. Um, it's, it's not that hard. It's not that much different. You know, I think you can find, to me, a job's more, it, it's less about what you're actually doing and more about the people around you and the people that you're working with. And if those people have your back and you're on board, then you don't really have to play the chameleon game. You can be yourself or, or a, an authentic version of yourself in a corporate setting if you believe in the cause. And then you can step right off stage and change a shirt and do your music. And, and it's really not as big of a shock as I think people would think. Sure. Yeah. Because you're, uh, you're kind of a ringleader in, in both uh, environments. Yep. Totally. Well, thank you. <laughs> a, that is the nicest thing anyone said to me all week, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, let's take a sip of this beer. Yeah, man. How, how is, how is, is that? This is good. Um, this is... Coronado Brewing Company. It looked like Colorado from a distance, but no. that's not what it says. Uh, Coronado. So glad I didn't fuck that up. It's uh, Idiot IPA. It's an Imperial India Pale Ale. It's 8.5% alcohol, and uh, it's delicious. 
Yeah. Never had it before. How is yours? Yeah. Sculpin. Ballast Point. This is my favorite IPA. It's a, it's a standard in my stomach. It's got like a hell of a fish on there. Is yeah, that like a yeah, that's, puffer fish? Or? That's Ballast Point's thing. They have all sea creatures on their labels. I love it. They are a very, very enjoyable brewery. If you ever see anything from Ballast Point, I highly recommend getting it. Or Coronado, if you are out and about. Yeah. Keep both of those names. This program your... is not sponsored by these beers. <laughs> no, I am, <laughs> I am unfortunately not getting paid in money or beer to talk about either of these beers. Not yet, but if <laughs> if any representatives from these beers are listening, we're about to get deeper into this so, white rap stuff. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about your new album, but um, yes. is there anything else you want to say about it? I know you're doing, you have the show that's coming up. Yeah. The release show, which I guess we can plug. If anybody's still listening to this, they're probably interested. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am doing the release show on November 22nd at the Smiling Moose. So those are my old stomping grounds. We're coming back there. We're going to have a throwdown, have a party to celebrate. Uh, uh, I will be there, obviously. Kilter Vision, Sykes, you will be there. Mm. Plutocrat Noose will be doing some of those songs as well. Noose as is loose. Noose is loose. All the Amok songs, all the new songs. We're going to have a hell of a set. Uh, we got Bars Blackman and Lazy JP in the house overdosed and connect and dj blacklisted a fortified fanatic so it's going to be a hell of a night with some old friends um i encourage anybody to come out the shows that we throw there typically are just a fun um i want to say non-denominational sort of environment you know so i think a lot of kids get sort of like maybe hesitant about coming out to shows because i think well i'm not i like this band but i'm not really part of this scene or i don't really like belong in this culture well there's no there's no definitive culture to these shows anybody can come out you know your grandmother can come out dude from down the block in the key <laughs> sport can come out no one will feel out of place so it's just going to be a chill cool ass time yeah you know that's a really good point to make about like the the shows that we do being a mix of cultures because it was, I remember when we both first started playing shows, which was right around the same time. Um, well, you had started playing shows a little bit before me. I know that we were both doing hip-hop stuff at the time. Um, this mm -hmm. was uh, maybe, I think this was right around the time Casanova Sparks had started. Yep. And if anybody doesn't know what Casanova Sparks is, that was a, uh, a rock band, I guess. Yeah. It was rock, but it, it featured myself... Ryan here, Andy, a.k.a. Kilter Vision, and the elusive Ben Berendino. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, which, there is a link. I'll post a link to that stuff, and a link to your music, and a link to Plutocrat News in the, uh, on the same page. Yes, as links. This. Yes, there will be some links to all of these things that we have done together and that Ryan has done himself. Links but getting good. back on track, um, Ryan, you were actually like one of the big like inspirations for me to play hip-hop shows because at the time i had been making like rap songs but i hadn't played any shows and i remember i went and saw you play at hcon and at H the time we were like already homies and stuff and i was like fuck man if ryan could do this i could fucking do this <laughs> if this asshole can white rap <laughs> anyone can white rap practically <laughs> but uh so yeah i remember the that was thanks for that you know yeah you know totally. you uh that was inspiring. 
Yeah, well, we've always had, I think, the shows that we've thrown together, you know, it's a lot of times we're playing with, you know, bands, it's it's usually experimental, or, or if, it, if it is an all-hip-hop bill, it's usually hip-hop artists that have their niche or have their, their sort of, you know, grasp on what they're doing, and it's it's typically not like industry night or like sure. a scene show. But that's the thing, is it, it took us a while to find that. Right. I feel like when we both, both first started, we were kind of like suckered into this like, Anybody can play this rap show if you sign up or if you sell X amount of tickets. Right. That kind of thing, which really wasn't our scene. But luckily, we had each other <laughs> to like. Totally. <laughs> because it probably would have been a lot more difficult. Because like, we played some fucking really weird shows together that I'm not Definitely. sure I could have made it through without you <laughs> or maybe vice versa. Definitely. We've played some super bizarre shows. I mean, everywhere from, you know, those big shows, like I remember Alter Bar opening for AWOL Nation and like the place is packed and it's yeah. so great and awesome and all these like fulfilling big venues. And then, you know, you, you can't forget those like parties that you just show up and there's like 10 people there and you're like, Okay, I was told this was not just a house, but dude, I guess it's a house. Let's dude, throw it down. Dude, my favorite show was the one that we played out. It was like out in North for sales yes. by that Walmart. <laughs> you fucking remember that, dude? I do, I do remember that. Dude, that was some shit. That was something. <laughs> that was something. Yeah. I do. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't know. I don't know where I'm, to start. That. I, I can't even really get into the. Uh, I can't get into that, uh, but the guys that threw that show, I can't remember the name of that band. And I think, and I want to say Brown Lemon. Yeah, maybe that I think was you're it. Thinking of Brown Lemon. Yeah, but Shout I out remember to you dudes. If you're listening, yeah, but I remember uh, before that show, we had played that show at Giorgio's, and we were gonna play that show at Giorgio's, and they had that yes. guy with them, and that's where the the famous catchphrase, the something to fucking do, something to do, <laughs> yeah, came from. Yeah. You can tell, tell that story. Well, the this, new story. Yeah, I mean, the story behind that's just we show up, and this is supposed to, this is advertised to us um, via the internet, which harder to um, detect scams and weirdos on the internet back in the day. I know we're showing our age, but it's advertised as this sort of local music fest, and there's going to be all this these people there and these partying, and you know, you get in and you get a cup and you're ready to go. And we're thinking, well, hey, this is a great opportunity. We haven't played that many shows. Let's say, what the hell? Let's be a part of this. And we show up. And actually, I think we were late. <laughs> And there was not only no one there like to watch anyone, but there were two dudes there, two older dudes there that were just drinking 40s and, you know, getting stuff set up. And they were just saying, hey, we don't know what's going on. Uh, we don't know if anyone's coming. But listen, guys, it's something to fucking do, right? <laughs> something to do. And we were like, I guess. <laughs> and we said, well, we're going to go and check on our stuff and we're going to hit you guys up or hit us up if people come. And we just left. Yeah. And never, I think that's like still to this day, maybe the only time I've ever done that, but we just fucking left. Yeah. And never came back. <laughs> and that happens so frequently. Like it, it's one of those things where you have those highs and you have those, as a local artist, you have those big shows where you just feel like everything you touch is gold and, and you're awesome and you got the crowd in the palm of your hands and then just as easily, you can get on a bill the next night where, you know, there's eight people there and not even one out of those eight people is really that interested with what you're doing. Yeah. Which is, def it's deflating. They, they don't seem to be interested in anything and you can't figure out why they're even there. 
Like, how yeah. the fuck they ended up there to begin with. And then when you have those shows, that the taste sticks in your mouth and you go home and you think, especially as a dad and a husband, you think, oh, I could have been with my family and why did I fucking come out there and these kids and you go through this whole internal struggle and then you just get up the next day and say, fuck it and do it again. Yeah. Well, I think that's why I think that I've gotten a lot, a lot more choosy about the shows that I play. It's like I'll think, I'll reminisce a little bit and be like, oh, dude, I used to play like two or three shows a week. But yep. then I think of these stories, and I'm like, oh, well, how many of those shows were actually worth it? Yeah, and it's I don't, I don't know. It's a tough city to break through. It's a tough city to get legitimate bills and get legitimate exposure. I think there's a lot of promoters out there that, that do take advantage and do the pay-to-play stuff and do the, you know, it's almost too good to be true type scenarios, and a lot of newer acts get sucked into that, and a lot of established acts just become numb to it and don't want to get involved in it, and, and it ends up in a lot of people quitting and not wanting to do music anymore because they get frustrated, which I totally understand and I totally get. I think that why I've endured it and why I stick with it is just because because um, I'm just not happy when I don't do it. Yeah, I think that that really filters out the people that are, like, I don't want to say, like, or discredit anyone's passion for what they do, but I think that if you can go through some of the shit that we've done, and you can still find some bullshit excuse reason to do it, then it's like you're on that next level. Right. It's just like you need to find a way to apply that passion in a way that is productive and will help you get to another level up. Right. But you know, it gets, it, it gets hard. Sure. You know, it's, and okay. hey, it's it's music, right? And yeah. it's it's there's no this is not like a tier structure in a in a business where you get promoted or something like that. This is this is it. So there's there's no brass ring, you know. There's no hey, this no one to tell you, hey, this is the next level or this is where you should be. I mean, maybe if you have a great manager, they'll tell you that. Um, most people don't. Most people that have a manager probably aren't getting the dividends from it. So you know, if you're an independent artist, there's not a sure shot way to realize success. Until you're just kind of there and you know. Well, yeah, I mean, success is all a matter of perception. But, and I feel like in most circumstances, your biggest hurdles end up being ones that aren't even related to your music or the music industry. It's the stuff that's tied right. into your personal life. You know, it's your job that you need to, you know, pay for the house that you live in and to help support your family and things yep. like stuff that that's a lot more, that's a... That, that's a heavier weight on your shoulders than it is on mine, but I still have this home that I live in, sure. and I still have a job that I care about, and I still have things that I need to take care of, and it's, you know, make to make certain sacrifices to, like, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to not work for two weeks, so I could go rough it out on the road and try to break out and meet new people it's a gamble that's really really risky sure. to take it's a gamble and i think that that's construed as passion you know when people say hey i'm going to drop everything i'm going to dedicate my life to this um i'm not going to do this nine to five job anymore it's going to be all music and music and music and music and they're cramming music down their throat and they're living at shows and they're living on the road and you know there's there's i don't want to discredit that there's nothing wrong with that but you know some of the greatest wins for my life, you know, have nothing to do with music. Sure. But some of those hardships and some of those things um, that don't have anything to do with music that I'm able to overcome, that helps me to make better music. 
um, you know, I think, hey, you want to be a great director, right? You you, you want to have a knowledge of all the, all the movies that are out there that are good, and you want to drive influence and get an idea of the sort of movie you want to make, but it can't just be all movies. You got to read a book, right? You got to go experience something. You got to, you got to stop cutting so deep. You got to live your real life, and you got to come yeah. back later. That's the thing. I think that there's like this, there's like this thing with me personally is like, what the fuck do I want right now? You know, I am the situation I'm in. Okay. It's like, I have a job. I work, essentially I work in the music industry. I'm working for a record label. I have an awesome girlfriend. I have a nice house. I live in a cool area. I'm making good money. I'm still making music. I might not be touring full time, but it's like, I'm fucking happy. And I have anything that I could possibly want here. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what am I chasing? Should I just shut the fuck up and be happy and stay here? Or should I continue to have these feelings, which I do have sometimes, where I feel like I'm not doing enough or I'm not being successful? Sure. But it's like, that's bullshit. Sure. I am successful right now. It's like, I have a lot more going for me that, you know, maybe some people that are touring all the time don't have. Sure. You know, I've, you know, played shows with bands that are on tour and it's like, you know, they're just, they're scraping by and i don't know if i don't know yeah it's and it's it's a hard it's i feel like it's a lot different for touring with hip-hop is it, i don't want to say it's easier but it's a lot more uh the monetary or not monet what's the word i'm looking for it's a lot more cost efficient to tour as a rapper than it is with five six dudes in a band having a trailer full of gear Sure. And all of this stuff. You can get away with in a car and keeping your expenses low. I don't know how fucking full bands are like on this independent circuit maybe making like a hundred bucks a night if they're lucky and playing shows that are four or five hours apart are like making sure. any money. Absolutely. It's hard and it, it again comes back to what you said about, you know, success is subjective. So it's like when when do you feel like you're you're there? You know, for some people it's hey, if I'm not providing for myself solely off of this music, then I haven't, you know, made it. And again, I'm doing the quotes with my hands. Um, you can't see it at home, but I did it. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, so some people have that thought. Some people say, hey, if it, until I have a, a deal with a major record label, I haven't made it. You know, everybody has their different definition of that, and you never really have anybody that's gonna. You know, you might pay a manager to give you tips and get you connections, but you're never really gonna have have some person just sit down and tell you, well, you're at this level or you're at this level or you made it or you didn't yeah. make it. That's subjective. And I think for me, patterns I've fallen into or, you know, I've kind of realized that it'll never be enough. So I always said, well, I just want to open for this national act or open for this guy or this guy. Well, I open for those guys or I just want to do a track with this guy and he's a big deal and I can't, if I could arrange that, I would feel great. Well, I did that and I still don't feel great. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, when, when does that, when is enough enough? And again, it's, it's all subjective. So I think at the end of the day, if you're happy with the, the music and the art that you're putting out and it's, you're getting something out of it and getting that sense of self-fulfillment, you know, regardless, of, and it sounds very starving artist of me, but regardless of monetary gain, you know, that's, that's pretty much being successful. That's probably as good as you're going to get right there. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's like, regardless of all of the things that I have good for me going like right now, there is still that, like that push that's constantly kicking me in the ass is saying like, you need to do more. You need to do more. And uh -huh. like you just said, I don't, I don't think that that's ever going to go away no matter how far I go or how far I don't go, I feel sure. like I'm always going to feel like I'm not doing enough. 
I don't know where the fuck that even comes from. Sure. Well, just work ethic and it's just hustle and, you know, you put hard work. I know you spend hours and hours on the music that you make from all the different projects that you're in and you want you want people to hear it. You know, yeah. if, if it's not about making money, it's still about, hey, I want some I want some sort of validation for this. I want to at least talk with people about it that have heard it and that have gotten inside my head a little bit. You yeah, know? I think that's the thing is like I, I really that's a, and that's the thing that fucks me up about the Internet now where we're at now. Uh, when we first met, you know, MySpace days seven years ago, um, it was a lot easier to connect with people, show them your music, and actually get a response from it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, it's really hard to gauge if people were, if they like your stuff or if they don't. And like, nobody really says anything. Sure. Everything's just like, oh, I hit that like button. Yeah, and everyone's that's the numb only to interaction it. I need to make. People are numb to it. People are desensitized. And, you know, as we both know, people in general like very stupid things. Yeah. You know, I remember just, just an example, you know, on like my first album, I have this song, Minus Two Chromosomes, that's about like uh, evolution and, you know, natural selection and, and gradual mutations throughout time and how I look back on that and identify with that and see my place in it and how I have this complex about just this intellectual, you know, really well thought out, pieced together song. And I've probably... N- almost never had anyone comment on its contents like i've had people say they like the hook and they've sung the hook but i've never had anyone just come up to me and be like you know what i really like where you went there but then i have a song that's about not liking one of my buddy's bitch girlfriends and that song i hear about on a weekly basis about how great that is so that's that's an example right there um some of those times it's just for you you know you just put and you're just hoping it'll stick and someone will get it and someone will like it but you don't totally care you know i feel that way about the new album you know i have a couple songs on there that are a little bit more borderline experimental that i put a lot more time into into maybe some of those bars that i wrote in a couple minutes but the first time i performed one of the songs um it was an altar bar when um, i played with y and dessa recently and got off stage and people were talking about actually some of the the bars that i thought were dumber you know, that weren't really that good. Yeah. Not to diss myself, but like some of the stuff, I would never point to those lines and be like, that's my Magnus Opus, the best line I ever wrote. But those people, I love what you said about the itty bitty titty committee. That was great. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) But it brings the stupid stuff will bring people in and maybe that's their gateway drug to get a shot at some of your more hyper intellectual stuff. I don't know the answer. Yeah, I, I have the same, well, I don't, I haven't written anything like kind of goofy in a really long time, which I mean, not necessarily goofy, but you remember like I had like songs like clicky clacky. Yeah. Which was like, that was probably like my, that was like my, my hit, Mm -hmm. you know, that was like everybody that I knew, knew that fucking song. And it's like, it was catchy. It was dumb. And I had scumbag, which was about like the dudes trying to hit on people's girlfriends and like those like real simple, dumb songs that are easily relatable. And it's like now I've kind of like gotten into like more of like a borderline depressive self-loathing state and everything that I write is just kind of like miserable. But it's like, well, this is what I want to talk about. Fucking deal with it. Sure. I remember uh, you you had the Rat Tail song. Yeah. That was like your secret track. I remember one of your shows, a lot of people were kind of demanding that and you like shied away from it a little bit. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck happened and why I... There was like, I, I, I was well aware that, cause at the time I had songs that were more serious and thought out and like 
political or about like religion or my thoughts on like drug abuse and things like that. And then I had songs like Clicky Clacky and Scumbag and The Rat Tail. And that was yep. the stuff that people gravitated towards. Yep. But for some reason, there was this thing in me that was just like, fuck you. I want I want to be taken seriously. Yep. I think because I think that like I think I did. I didn't want to be like this goofy white rapper guy because I felt like I was above that for some reason. Right. Um. And again, I had like people coming up to me like, oh, like I like your stuff. It reminds me of three oh three, and that's just like no. Yeah. That's not what I'm trying to do. You got typecast like, as that. And guy. also at the same time, like this was before. I was in any bands. I mean, we had mm-hmm. Casanova Sparks, but I wasn't in any metal bands or anything like that. And I had that outlet. I didn't have that outlet. So mm-hmm. I feel like I kind of wanted to go into this more serious, intense route as a result of not having a creative outlet to get all of my inspiration channeled. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I tried putting it all into one thing and then that ended up combusting and I made like... The weirdest fucking album I ever made. If anybody's listening to this, I have an album that's called Thank You For Your Cooperation that I spent like two years on. And actually, I never even technically finished it. I just released it with the songs as they were at that point because I was like, I had dug myself into a rabbit hole so deep of like overthinking everything and trying to be too serious. Yeah. And now I've kind of like balanced back out. I'm obviously not doing stuff as silly as Rat Tail, but it's also not as like... I feel like I was trying to be too artistic on that album and kind of just went over some people's heads. Yeah, it's a hard... That's a a tightrope to kind of walk, and that's exactly what I've experienced. And I think that, you know, I'm probably not going to make as as many on-the-nose songs like maybe Bounce or, you know, what we did, like the Sound Guy song, you know, Mike Checked for Plutocrat News, like those songs that are more just totally on the nose. I'm I'm probably not gonna write those songs like the unfettered ones or 99% that are just like a well thought out like attack on something or an argument on something like my my focus now and what I think I succeed with on this new EP is you you just get an idea of who I am and that may be a, that may be a really bad thing and <laughs> it might actually make you never hear me again but I'm just so comfortable in my own skin on this one because I think that listening to these songs is just the equivalent of just sitting and bullshitting with me for 20 minutes and it's, it's just a music form and you get inside yeah. my head and it wasn't the thematically it wasn't really that well thought out you know some, yeah. of, some of the songs have no theme they're stream of consciousness but but still there's a lot of content in there so um i don't know what i'm trying to say i don't know if i'm trying yeah. to say that that dumb on the nose songs are bad or you know hyper intellectual songs with deep meanings are bad i think it's just how how you feel comfortable expressing yourself. i don't think either of those things are bad they're just not me You know, it's like, I think that the thing that got me into hip hop was Aesop Rock. And it's like, that's like fucking like really well read, thought out music. It's his, his has like, there's an artistic element to his music that I I can't aspire to be that. I'm not that fucking smart. So I can't even try, but I know I'm smarter than again, a rat tail song. (laughs) So it's just, you are better than the rat tail. So it's just like. I'm just like writing songs about my life and my and where I'm at, like the shit that's going on in my head. And maybe you can relate to it, maybe you can't. Yeah. But it's just like it's genuine. I feel like at the end of the day I just want to do something that's like 100% genuinely me. Totally. I agree with you and I think that listeners of sort of the whole range, 
you know, you can run the gamut on people that listen to music for, hey, do they listen to top 40? Do they just listen, uh, you know, blindly? Do they search for things that, that are more underground, experimental? And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that people can kind of detect bullshit, you know? Yeah. And and sometimes people lie in music and they just have, the, they're so bought into their own lie that it comes across as genuine, <laughs> which maybe is the reason a lot of mainstream artists are popular. But I think at the end of the day, you know, whether what you're saying is, is right, wrong, or bad, or good, or some sort of weird gray area, you know, if you, if you feel conviction towards it, and you're saying it, and you feel it, then there's probably a high likelihood that somewhere, somewhere along the way, someone's going to recognize that and feel it too. The thing that fucks me up is, like, it's really hard, and I can have this conversation with you because I know you did film stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like, I can't look at music the same way anymore. But you need to, like, once I, after making it for so long, it's like watching a movie now. It's, it's like, it's like, I can't watch a movie with being like, ah, oh, you know, that was a really bad transition. Or like, yeah. that lighting's really fucking weird. You don't have that innocence anymore. Right. Or it's like, I'm listening to an album and I'm thinking like, oh, those fucking drums sound dumb. Or like, they shouldn't have layered those vocals like that. Yeah. I don't have that, like, completely ignorant, that ignorant bliss you know yep and i miss that it's but that's the, that's the thing that most people have and i think it's hard for people like us to remember that that you know to like l really really look at what we're doing at face value and not yep. think about all of those technical things you know it's like nobody listening to your fucking song is gonna like the general like the average person is going to be like, oh, this three-part harmony sounds great. I really like how they panned it amongst the left and right channels and added that sure. delay. Right. You're, no, you're, yeah, you're 2% of people that are going to listen to your music that are audiophiles probably aren't real consumers of music. You know, or real, really appreciative of music. They're more, they're more there to kind of deconstruct it and and nitpick and do their thing, which is cool too, because you got to have people that'll do that. But it's, I agree. When you when you lift the curtain too much and you're too far into the world of production and artistry, it's really hard to, like you said, ignorance is bliss. Just sort of take a step back and enjoy a movie or enjoy a song. Um, like I, I would imagine it would be hard. It's probably really hard for um, like someone whose profession is a prostitute to enjoy having sex with someone <laughs> for love. I mean, you probably don't get off the set of a gangbang and it's like, honey, what did you do today? I don't know, but I'm ready for a romantic night out. And I don't care what happens tonight. You know, it's probably hard to, to you know, you know, yeah. you know where I'm going with that. No, totally. Horrid analogy. That's a fucking awesome analogy. I basically just called us prostitutes <laughs> is, is where I went with this. <laughs> which, speaking of which, please buy my, or don't buy, it's going to be free. Just listen to my new EP, Detonate, that comes out <laughs> November 22nd for free. Amok412.bandcamp.com and all that bullshit. Just while we're being whores. Yeah. <laughs> Figured I'd throw that out there. No, that's... It's... Uh, fuck. So, have you um had any... I guess it's hard for you with time. But uh, have you had any aspirations to do anything outside of hip-hop ever again? Because I know you do have like some... You're able to pick up an instrument and play it. Yeah. You have some talents. <laughs> and you, you, you have a nice voice. Yeah. You can sing. You are good at other things. You don't have to rap all the time. I mean, you, True. Do, you do sing on a lot of your stuff. True. Have you ever, like, thought about taking the time to do something else? Or do you feel like the identity that you've established as a muck 
you might as well just keep kind of pushing with that whenever you do have the time to do something creative. Yeah, great question. Um, I don't, I don't see myself in another project that's not the Amok stuff. And I think that it's a time thing. It's it's also a thing of, you know, that that's my artistic outlet right now. And I don't want to, you know, spread myself too thin and have these many things going on when I kind of feel like I can put all the faces of me into one project, which I think is Amok. And I think that with the, the newer EP, you know, the percentage of you know, actual rapping and, and rap oriented music that you have, um, the ratio of that to things that are more kind of trip hop and, and just sort of laid back and maybe more, more stuff you'd hear. I don't want to, you know, throw out maybe pin back and Portis head, but just sort of that chill electronic like feeling. There's a lot less rapping and a lot more of that. And I think that's my outlet to just sort of say, Hey, you know, fuck it. Like, I'm not, I mean, sorry, Dad, I'm not a white rapper. Um, for, <laughs> I hate to disappoint you. I know, I know you, I know you already told our, our whole family that I'm climbing the white rap ladder, but there's, there's more to me than that as a person. Um, there's more to me like singing weird on creepy beats, and I try to do that as much as possible. No, um, there's just, I think that, that, you're you're gonna see on this new EP, and you've you've heard it, and people will hear it, but that that's that's sort of coming out still in this project, and I plan to push the envelope with that, and to, to still continue to take a muck. The next album might not be that much of a rap influenced album at all. Um, so to answer your question, after this long tirade, no, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is the only thing I'm doing to the day that I die. <laughs> And that's all, folks. That's it. Amok, amok to the grave, bitches. Do you feel weird um, calling yourself a rapper or saying that you're a hip-hop artist? I, d I went through like an identity crisis thing where I wouldn't call myself a rapper. And people would be like, oh, I heard like people like at work or, you know, whatever. People that I knew from high school or college would be like, oh, yeah, I heard, uh, you know, Jessica said that you're, uh, you're doing music now. What do you do? And logically, I would have said, well, I'm a rapper. And I just was uncomfortable saying that. And I'd say, well, it's sort of like, I beat around the bush, you know, it's sort of like, well, it's, uh, yeah. it's heavily electronic influenced with, you know, maybe there's a smidge of, you know, sprinkle of some rhyming here and there, but I wouldn't call it rap. And, um, I still wouldn't really associate it 100% with rap music. It's rap music influenced, but look, I'm not, I'm not an elitist, right? If I'm, if I'm in a bar, if I'm, if I'm having a conversation with someone and they ask what kind of music I do, let's face it, it's rap. You know, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got to just come out and say it. It's rap music. That is what it is. Um, you're, you're going to be, um, it's, it's going to be a lot easier for you to get into what I do if you have some sort of foundation in rap music and that's what you like. Yeah. It's, it's really, really hard for me to, to, uh, describe exactly what it is that I do to people, you know? Um, it's like I do, it's like a rap hip hop thing and I have a band and you know, but it's it's like it's like so it's like kind of like rap rock, but it's not rap rock. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> uh, and and then, I see I see then, the problem. And then right there, people are like, "What?" Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like I feel like there's this sort of thing with like hip hop culture, where like I don't care much for a lot of underground hip hop music. Like I, it's okay. I don't listen to it in my free time. Put it that way. There's some select artists that I do keep up with and I do check out, and there's some classics that I do like, but I'm not a hip-hop head by any means. Sure. And I feel like it's almost like 
sometimes I feel like it's like disrespectful in a way to be like I'm doing hip hop. You feel like you're false advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel, but it's you know, so it's hard. It's like you know, to somebody that's like a real hip hop head, I'm like, oh sure. hey, I make hip hop. They're gonna hear this and be like, oh, they might be like, this isn't hip hop. Sure. Or like this isn't really hip hop, you know. Or somebody that's more into like rock music or other type of music might be like, I make hip hop, and they have a predetermined idea of what hip hop is in their head, and then they hear it and be like, I've never heard hip hop like this. This is hip hop. Sure. I feel like I like I'm, I blur this weird line. I think you do too with a lot of your stuff, but that's why. Yeah. Luckily, we've had each other for so long that you know at least we we're not alone. We are like each other's indie music support group. Yeah. <laughs> here in Pittsburgh, and, and Andy Kilter Vision is right in there with us. And I agree, you know, it's tough because, you know, you, you don't want to tell somebody that's a, a real, and I'm not that way either, I'm not a real hip-hop head. Like, people that are that are really into hip-hop, like, you know, they, they know hip-hop history, and, and you know, they, they'd be able to, to kill it if there was, like, a trivia board game at it, and they're able to, to pinpoint certain samples from certain songs yeah. decades apart. And, like, I can't do that either. But, you know, what I can do is I, I have a very broad range of artists that I've listened to over the course of my life that all funneled in to who I am as an artist and I think that that hip-hop and and rap right now like it is that format for which I do what I do and I do it in an authentic way so you sort of have a hip-hop format regardless of what the mood is or the atmosphere or the beat you know you're you and you're talking about something that you feel and kind of who you are and what you represent yeah I feel like I really latched on to the I feel like I gelled really well with the format of writing raps i'm really i feel like i'm really strong with different rhythms and i understand it just it clicked with me and it all started i under i found that click back in high school when i was doing joke rap songs with my friends yep and it just seemed like there was something more to it like i could like it was just fun you know yeah and i i think that like when i think of why i like rap music um, as a listener, the sort of rap that I like to listen to, it's for a couple of reasons. It's for, hey, this is impressive, this is technically sound, but for the most part, it's just because it's dope. I mean, for lack of a better term, it's like, I put that shit on, I like it, and I would bump around in my car to that shit and feel like vicariously through that artist that that was like expressing how I feel right here at this moment yeah. as I'm rolling around in my car with the windows down. Yeah. So I think you have that, that goes, and I think people that, hey, maybe you, maybe you like whatever, um, maybe you like Wiz or, or whatever, 3-6 Mafia, and that's your thing, and you feel what they say, and it's very straightforward, and that represents you. But I think people, even on, like you had mentioned Aesop, um, maybe that's you. You know, you still listen to it for the same reason, if even if you don't admit it or recognize it. There's still a little bit of that Aesop rock ego maybe you're coming right out of art school and whatever you're jumping in your fucking volvo and you got your tight jeans on you're riding around and that's not this anybody but maybe that's you and you put on aesop really for the same reason that somebody else puts on biggie or somebody else puts on whoever yeah and they're so far apart in the spectrum but you are listening to it for some similar reason and there's sort of a beauty in that yeah i mean i listen to all the music that i listen to i listen to a a very wide spectrum of music but it's all all i listen to music it's like it's genuine it's weird it's unique and some part of it like latches onto me personally whether it's like 
the feeling that I get from the instrumentation or if it's something as simple as like the lyrical content relates to my life, anything I listen to. And mm-hmm. that could be in rock or hip hop or fucking metal or it's like electronic. So there's naturally given that rainbow of music I listen to, there is some hip hop sprinkled in there, but yeah, I'm not the type of person that like, I mean, there's some people it's like all they fucking mainly listen to is like one specific type of music which is fine but it's i'm just really across the board and i think that's shown in the music that i've put out and it makes it really hard to pin it down too because it's like it's the same like basically like if you ask me what type of music i listen to it's just as hard for me to answer that question as it is for me to be like what kind of music do you make like what psychs like right because it's like well i listen to a little bit of this and a little bit of that and some uh this over there and it's hard to narrow it down to one thing. Sure. And I think when, you know, you talk about your own music in a social setting, like we've discussed, everybody does music now. You know, everybody has a music page. You know, my, my fucking grandma has a has a Facebook page and she's a rapper, right? <laughs> that's not true. But like that's that's the extent of it, is it's so absurd that everybody has something. So people are so desensitized to hearing about music and hearing about your project and anytime you you ask someone i feel bad like even telling people yeah you feel like but that's you feel like you're (laughs) you need to tell people about it sure but you feel you do feel bad i I feel like that guy like oh let me tell you like like somebody is an author and they hand you like a 200 page manuscript hey could you could you check this out and tell me what you think and you're like yeah i'll take off work for two weeks and read your fucking book (laughs) I mean, maybe it's not as egregious as that, but people people are just so desensitized to it, and they're also very used to hearing from people that people don't want to define it. For similar reasons we've said, you know, you feel uncomfortable, or maybe you think your music's so different, so a very common response to, what what does your music sound like, what do you do, is, well, it's everything. Or it's a little bit of this, it's a little bit of that. And really, it could be it could be the most bland, boring, you know, uh, generic sounding rock in the world. And this person's gonna sell you like he's he's the next Pink Floyd, right? Like sure. this this is the next big shit. So it's almost like you're describe you start describing your own music, and before you even get the words out of mouth, you almost kind of just think, "Fuck it." Yeah, my thing that I've come into recently, um, now that I'm getting back into being abrasively social with people about the music that I do is I like abrasively social (laughs) psychs instead of uh telling people about the music that I do I just try to get them to come to shows because that's the only fucking way you're gonna get it it's like if I can't I can't trust that if I send you a link to something you're really gonna fucking sit down and listen to it sure and I can't trust that if I'm sitting down and I'm talking to you about something you're gonna understand what I'm talking to you about but if I can fucking convince you to come to a show, I know that you're hearing the music that I'm doing and you're actually seeing it in the environment that it's supposed to be. I feel yep. like my music at best is it's live. Seeing it live is the way that you need to fucking see it to really take it in. Yeah. Like to like uh, distract somebody from their fucking phone for 20 minutes and just to like really take it in. So it's just like get fucking people to come to shows. Like I think that's what your focus needs to be and to like it'll get people to take it more seriously too is it's like you're not just a guy putting fucking songs on bandcamp that you're recording in your bedroom it's like sure. you're you have this product on and your you webcam, have this on youtube performance you know and yeah. that's the thing that i'm focusing on it's just like 
And that's interesting too, because obviously you've been in what, like 10, 15 bands, <laughs> you know, that, that have all made waves. And, you know, I think that that's your, your hip hop persona derives from that, you know, because it's not, um, people in, in, you know, probably the, the rap community all, all across the board. I'm not saying that they don't put on dope live shows and, you know, I've been to so many dope hip hop shows that, that they blew me away, but I just think it's less of a, you have to have a great live show to be in this oh, genre yeah. of music as opposed to if you perform in a live band. It's almost like you're almost surprised sometimes when you see a good hip-hop artist and they sound better than the album. It almost blows you away. But really, that should be the expectation all the time. Yeah. Or you see like rappers that aren't just rapping on top of their uh, studio master tracks like with the vocals still in them. Yeah. And that's the way, you know, we talked about, you know, success is subjective and how do you gauge your success and is it, hey, I have a million hits on my videos on YouTube or, you know, hey, I just I just did this tour or I this label's interested in me. Like, what is the barometer yeah. for success? Like, do you have a, uh, is your success to, like, feel personally successful or to just have a mask of success that other people see you wearing? Sure. Well, I think, like for me, to, to answer my own question, it's it's hard to define, but one thing that makes me feel like I did something good is that I know, just like you said, I know I can get people to my shows. And it's not going to happen every week when you're playing locally. You're not going to get the same people. Oh, yeah, I just saw you. Wow, when can I see you in two more days? You know, people, people get sick of you. People get desensitized to you, throwing flyers out. But for the most part, I know, like, hopefully, fingers crossed, knocking on this wood right now, November 22nd at the Moose, that we can do this. But I know I can, I'm at this point where I can headline a show in Pittsburgh at a small to mid sized venue and it can do really well with my name on the bill. And yeah, maybe I don't have millions of hits on YouTube. Maybe I'm not on a national tour, but I know I can do that. And maybe you can back me up, you know, Brian, in Pittsburgh, you don't see that a lot. You don't see local acts that are really able to headline and really draw on a consistent basis, especially in rap music. So I think of that as a big accomplishment, and I agree with you that it's it's about the live performance. It's the most intimate setting. It's the most important thing to me, and um, that's a pretty kick-ass feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, there are, there are people that are doing it. It's like, the thing that sucks is like, I've, I try to stay informed on like what everybody else is doing. But it's really, really hard for me. It's like I need to give focus on to like all of my own projects. So I miss out on what other people were doing. I don't fucking know how successful some other people are. And it's like I just have like my small circle of people that I stay in contact with. But it seems like everybody's doing good, you know? And like my thing, like again, like I said, is just like instead of telling people, hey, I make music. It's just like, yeah, I make music. Come to a show. Come to a show. Come to a show. It's like all I'm trying to do is just get more people to come out to a sure. show and it's like even if you don't fucking like like what i'm doing you're there's gonna be four other people playing you're probably gonna like somebody make some friends just trying to get yeah. people like back into the real fucking world absolutely i think that on november 22nd there's a lot of people that need to make some new fucking friends is is what i'm thinking yeah i'm thinking you know singles, whether you're coming with your girlfriend, whether you're black, white, Hispanic. I mean, I, I, I cannot tell you how accepting we will be of anyone that comes out to see my CD release party November 22nd at the Smiling Moose. And I, I can't remember if I mentioned that before or not, so I wanted to make sure I got it out at some point on this podcast. Yeah, you did mention it a few times. I, I, all right, all right. Fair <laughs> and, enough, fair enough. And uh, where can we uh, hear the uh, the album when it's ready? Actually... Yeah. 
I haven't done this before, but maybe we can like debut a track on the podcast. Debut a track? We could do that. Like if anybody's yeah. listened if anybody's listened to the podcast up to this point, yes. They deserve to hear a song. They deserve something. They deserve a pat on the back, a song. Um yeah, let's do a song. Okay. It's going to be going up on Tuesday. You think we'll have a song? It could be a rough mix. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do what's going to be the first single on the album, Binge. So I want to give you a heads up. This song's not about heroin. Um, <laughs> it's really, it's it's Binge. I almost named the EP Binge because to me, you know, I that's a buzzword for like a track I want to like binge listen to, right? Like I want to hear it over and over and over again. And that's what this song is to me. It's short, sweet. It's a banger. Put it on a party. Um, fuck, I'm not going to tell you how to feel about it. Listen to it. Listen to this shit. All right, man. Well, I'm going to put that on in a second, but we're going to wrap up. And uh, I want to thank you yeah, for coming over. Absolutely. And shooting the shit. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Is it shooting the shit or shooting the ship? I don't know. I think I, I've, my whole life, I think I've said shooting the ship, S H I P. And really? I think, I think that, it's shit. I think just now, um, after 28 years of being alive, like I'm in realizing. This, in this moment? In this moment, I'm realizing that I've been saying that completely fucking wrong <laughs> this whole time. And, like, I've said that, like, in, in settings, like, in, like, doctor's offices and things. And, like, people will, like, turn their heads. And they probably thought I was saying shooting the shit. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what? What, guys? I'm just shooting the ship. Right? You ever play Battleship? I'm just bombing this other enemy ship? I mean, it makes why would you shoot a ship when you're just casually talking with someone? It makes no fucking sense. So thank you for, for stopping that part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming over man embarrassing yeah thanks for having me man right, and this is uh this is binge by a muck Punish
Enjoyed the conversation. Hope you enjoyed that amok track. That was cool to like feature a song. Why the fuck didn't I thought of doing that before? I've talked to I, I would say easily three fourths or maybe even seven eighths of the episodes that I've done of these 33 episodes have been with musicians. Why haven't I fucking put anybody else's music on there? I don't know. Maybe it's because I love Ryan and I don't love anybody else. I don't know. But uh, yeah. Hope you like that shit. And, uh, you know, as always, I'll be back next week with another episode. Same time, same place. And, yeah. That's all I have to say right now. I am Sykes. Start the beat. 2014. Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening. <laughs>